Okay. Hello. Much better. All right. So week three in chapter one, continuing, starting on page twenty-six, and I'm pretty sure we will get through the whole chapter this week. I think there's only six pages. All right. So starting with the subheading perseverance. Anyone have anything underlined? Okay. You want to read that? Unfortunately, most believers never get serious about prayer until a problem occurs in their lives or in the life of someone they love. Then they are inclined to pray intently, specifically, and persistently. Can anyone relate to that? I know I've definitely fallen into that at times, not praying as much as I should, then something bad happens, and then you begin praying fervently about that one thing, and then either you get tired of praying for it because it doesn't get resolved, or you just, it, it gets answered and you stop praying, right? I don't know, I mean, maybe that's just me. It might not have happened to anybody else. <clears throat> Anything else in our perseverance? All right. Uh, page 27 under our Lord's example. All right. Actually, I'm going to go back. So under perseverance, right in the middle... I thought this was something to chew on. He says, the verb that is used for uh, perseverance is, uh, he says, uh, the Greek word translated perseverance and in the command, devote yourselves, is from, uh, yeah, I can't say that word. Yeah, that too. But a compound word made up of, I think it's cartero or something. Uh, to be steadfast or to endure, and an added preposition that intensifies the meaning. The verb means to be courageously persistent, to hold fast and not let go. So last time we talked about the idea of the phone, always leaving somebody on the line so that you could talk to them at any time. I really like this idea of holding fast, not letting go uh, in regards to our fervency, in regards to how we're praying. You know, you think of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, not letting go. You know, I don't know if I have that perseverance. Hopefully it comes. I was thinking about this too. I think if, not knowing everybody's circumstances, and yet knowing everyone still struggles with the flesh, I would imagine that all of us find ourselves in a situation where either we are mostly inconsistent or have these stretches where we're quite inconsistent, either in our prayer, 
or in our, our time with God, period. And again, presuming that you fall in the same boat, it can get discouraging. When you know the right thing to do, you know that you should be spending uh, more quality time, not rushed, uh, in persevering prayer. You know you should be uh, having a great desire to talk to Him and to bring others before the Lord in prayer, and yet you don't. And the one thing that comforted me is in uh, considering the fact that God is always ready. His ear is always ready to hear us. And He is glorified by showing us mercy. And I think we forget that sometimes. We, we think almost like a, a worldly father uh, an earthly father, I should say, you know, we're, we're afraid that they get, might get mad at us if we confess something that we've done. But with God knowing everything already, we can have confidence to go to Him anytime and every time and know that He will be exalted in His mercy for us. And that is such an amazing truth to consider and to hold on to. All right, page 28, our Lord's parable. Well, I, nobody said anything for 27. I did, because nobody was saying anything for 27. Okay, 27, what do you have, Jonathan? Anybody else read that and find that perplexing? That Jesus prayed with great intensity and agony? I don't know. I found that perplexing. Like, why? And I don't know that we can know the answer, but I thought it was interesting considering, I guess my, from my perspective, thinking, okay, well that must be you know, because we have to separate everything. That must be the human part of him praying intensely and in agony. Because I can't imagine the the God. Not that he's broken into parts. I understand that, but for lack of a of way to explain it, the persona. I can't imagine God being in agony. So I found that uh, description interesting. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's referencing. So, um, Luke six twelve, I believe, is the 
I believe it's the temptation in the desert. But it's based off of the original reference is Hebrews 5, 7, saying that in the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. Right. You have, you have Luke 6 2, or 6 12? Yeah. Yes. Because at this time he went off to the mountain and prayed, he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And then he chose the disciples. Okay, so this is before choosing the disciples. Okay. So, yeah, something to, to ponder. Yeah. I think that's it. Is that what you're, yeah. Because even, you know, I can have like a 90, 95% confidence of what I know my kids are going to do in a given situation, or you can deal that with your spouse or a best friend or whatever else. Like, you can anticipate really closely what's going to happen when you do blank or when you say blank. But if we say, well, I just know what's going to happen, so I'm just going to present this very monotonously without any excitement. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't grasp it. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to imagine. I mean, it says, and there are many references to him praying throughout the night and for much time early in the morning. And, you know, right before they, in Gethsemane, where they came and took him, it seems like it was possibly an hour or, or more. So he's, and he prayed three times. So, yeah, it's just it's interesting to me. I guess on, on two parts: one, that as God, He would, and I guess here's where part of the hang-up: He would need to pray that way, because I don't think He did anything that He didn't need to do. But then, why did He need to do it? Was it for an example for us? So, anyways, something to to think about. And I guess the, the end point is if we are his disciples, if we are to follow him, our prayers should be the same. Our prayers, at least that should be the goal. And I think that's the whole idea of this first chapter is God has instituted prayer. He's commanded prayer. He 
responds to prayer. He allows prayer in looking at all the facets of it and how it affects our life, the importance of it, the relevance, the, the need for prayer, and getting us to not just accept it, but to live it, to breathe it, to um, exude uh, a life of prayer. And that's what his life showed us. Jonathan? Yeah, it's, I, it's hard to, to fully comprehend understanding he had no limitations that were not put on by himself. I mentioned this before, but there was an article that the seminary went to publish of Sam Dawson. He wrote, it's called The Google Person and Dual Consciousness of Jesus Christ. And he would argue, uh, or basically going about the, is there a God and human part coexisting in the person of Jesus? And right. It's worth considering. I mean, at the end of the day, the Bible, I don't think there's any one verse that definitively says this is exactly what the experience of Jesus was like. We just catch glimpses of it, like no man knows the day of the hour, not even the Son, but only the Father in heaven, when reality is God. How can you not know? But, you know, things like that. Right. So. Yeah, and that all examples are going to break down because we can't fully comprehend his infinitude. We can't comprehend his timelessness. We can't comprehend his eternality. Right. <laughs> did, you, did you guys say this phrase, only when you pray do we see the magnetized and foil? At the bottom of the point, Oh, uh, no. Okay. 
No, go ahead. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it was staged for our benefit. Yeah, but but that would make sense. We can only we can only potentially comprehend the physical agony that he experienced on the cross. We can't even come close to comprehending the spiritual agony of whatever that separation was from the Father. So I can see the agony, the, the intensity when considering that. And, you know, maybe in this instance in Luke 6, 12, he is considering that because this is the start of his ministry and he knows what that's going to lead to. I'm not sure. Either way, he prayed fervently. He prayed intensely and... I believe uh, he is our example. Norma? Yep. Right, which is the next couple pages. So let's go there. So page 28. First parable, contrasting, and this is a great point. It's con, both parables are contrasting God's character to highlight his goodness. Anybody under, underline anything on page 28? Okay, so the... Let's talk about this for a minute. How many of you read that and say, man, that's wonderful. That if we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be open to us. Whatever we ask will be given to us and say, wow, that's amazing. But then don't realize that in your prayer life. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> so where's the breakdown? Is the breakdown in our understanding of what that means? Or is our breakdown in how we're praying. Yeah, and that's the example that we see here, right? Keep knocking. So, I would argue that it's both. I would argue that we take our prayer for granted. We take the ability to pray for granted. 
we take um, just God in general for granted, knowing that he is good. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but again, I can think within the last 24 hours that I said or did or thought something that I knew was wrong, and I did it anyways. And what was one of the reasons that I did that? Selfishly, sinfully, because I knew God would forgive me. How wretched is that? So, we know God is good. We take Him for granted all the time, which I think is one of the biggest reasons why we don't pray. Uh, In one of MacArthur's messages on uh, Matthew 6, he was talking about, um, and actually we'll get to it in a couple chapters, but give us this day our daily bread. Most people in this country, and in, you know, a, well, primarily this country and a few handful of others, we don't worry about what we're going to eat for the day. We don't even think twice. We're, we're more thinking, what type of variety can I have versus am I going to be able to eat? And so that, in a sense, becomes a stumbling block for us praying with the right motives because we have so much. So I think part of it is taking God for granted and not praying as we should. And also I do think part of it is not having that fervency, not continuing to knock, not trusting, um, not believing that he will answer. Other thoughts on either parable, so 28 or 29? Anything that you underlined that stuck out to you? tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Right. And, and that comes back to what is the ultimate purpose of prayer? Who is the, the ultimate benefactor of prayer? It's us. God uses prayer as a vehicle to change us. 
Our prayers don't change Him, but they do glorify Him. And so through that, and through our many prayers, and then that final answer, then we praise Him all the more, because we know the strain that we've endured. Uh, This verse from this song always jumps in my head. Uh, The deeper our sorrow, the louder we'll sing. And there's an element to that with prayer. The longer we're praying for something, I mean, I've been praying for my mom and sister to get saved for 20, 25 years. And so I often ask myself, because I sometimes get discouraged and say, forget it. I'm not praying for them anymore. If God's going to do it, he's going to do it. That's a terrible attitude. And then I'm like, all right, I'm sorry, God. I know that's not the right attitude. Lord, please, please save them. You know, and how great is the rejoicing going to be when he does save them? I fully believe he will. Otherwise, why did he save me? He saved me so that I could pray for them. And so that, you know, I, we, I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever read uh, George Mueller? Okay, so we finished that last month. In Sunday school, and yeah, what an amazing testimony of prayer. And I think in the not the one that we read, there are a couple different versions, but in one of the uh, biographies done on George Mueller, it says that there were a handful of men that he prayed for for I want to say twenty or thirty years, and. If I remember correctly, two of them got saved right before he died, and then one of them got saved right after he died. So, that's always in my mind. I believe that the people that I'm praying for will get saved. And uh, I have to endure. I have to continue to pray, expecting that that's going to happen. Anything else? On 28 or 29? At the bottom of that middle paragraph on 29, he says, Don't lose heart. Just keep praying without ceasing. And don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And then this uh, insight from Spurgeon. Oh, man. I underlined the whole thing. It is tremendous. If you've only read it once, read it two or three more times. It is tremendous. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what a a great summation of persistence in prayer. All right, page 30, 31. Anyone underline anything? Yeah, and that's amazing. If you, if you stop and think about the fact that most false religions have a teaching that it is through much prayer or it is through certain words that they are answered. And 
we are told that it is our heart that he answers. And we talked about this in the beginning. Are the words that we say when we pray the only thing that matters? No. But do they matter? Absolutely, because they're a reflection of our heart. If we mess up and, you know, our punctuation or, you know, stumble at all in our conversation, is he offended by that? No. Because it's just like, you know, one of the best examples I've ever heard is, you know, when you have a, a one or a two-year-old and they're learning to walk, you know, they take that first step and they fall. As a parent, you don't look at them and say, you big dummy, what do you think you're doing? You say, oh, it's okay, good job, you tried, let's, let's, let's do it again, right? And it, it's a loving father, it's a loving parent. And in a, in a way, God knows our frailty, not in a way, but completely. He knows our frailty, he knows our weakness. He, know, he bought us and paid for us despite us. So we can always go back to him and he's always ready to forgive. He's always ready to listen. He's always ready to help. Yes. Yeah, and understand those two things go together, right? As we pray in the Spirit, and you're, you probably hear different explanations of what that means, but I think if we just look at it for what it says, in line with the Spirit, in tune with the Spirit, not in tongues, not in some language of gibberish, but when our hearts are in line with His, that is when we are praying in the Spirit. When we are considering what he, His desires are, when we are considering um, what would bring Him honor and glory, not what would satisfy our flesh, then we are praying in the Spirit. And that will affect the words. That will affect our hearts, our, our posture even, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually. The goal should be to pray in the Spirit. The goal should be to be <clears throat> in submission, to be in line, to be in accord, in harmony with God. So are we, are we allowed to say Abba Father? <laughs> I say so. I would say absolutely. Well, I mean, in this, it, it, he uses the word Abba. When he says Father. So, absolutely. MacArthur pointed out in one of the messages uh, that it was common practice for Jewish people to call God Abba, but to always follow it up with another higher um, complementary title. So they would say, Abba, Lord of heaven and earth, or Abba uh, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, or El Elyon. So they would always follow it up with something else because they were 
reluctant to only call him daddy, in a sense. And I, I think I can understand that. You know, I, I don't know. So not growing up with a dad, I never called anyone daddy. So I don't know how to relate to that. However, when I pray, I will generally say, Father, knowing that he is my father. And so I, I don't have that, that comparison to talking to my dad as, you know, daddy as a little kid. So I, I guess in my mind, there's uh, immediate reverence. But I can see... You know, if you grew up calling your dad, daddy, you know, when you're little, and obviously then it generally morphs into dad or uh, something else, maybe adding that additional title to, uh, to enhance their, their, their reverence. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would ever call God Pops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody underline anything on the power? Okay. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind and spirit, and it's because he intercedes for the saints according to the Yes. Yeah, the spirit himself. Yeah, it's, I think that should take the weight off of trying to always say the right words. And we talked about this when we were going through this in the teen class. I fully believe with all my heart that God is more honored, more exalted, more uh, satisfied with a humble, contrite heart that says, Father, I can't do this. Please help me. Then he is with a, Oh, dear Lord in heaven, great is thy faithfulness, said out of just words, said out of repetition, out of habit, out of a, a ropeness. You know, I, I wouldn't say that we should never... Um, read prayers, I'm not saying that, but when it's scripted, when there's no heartfelt anything behind it, I think it's at minimum uh, worthless, at most, on the verge of blasphemous. I mean, imagine going to the king of the country, or that you, you know, if, you, if we had a king, and requesting an audience with him and saying, hey, just want to let you know, uh, you got new shoes. See ya. What? What are you wasting my time for, right? So, anyways, bad example, but it's what I came up with on the top, top of my head. You don't understand what I'm saying. We don't waste 
somebody really important's time for no reason whatsoever. So if we are merely saying words and there's no heart behind it, at minimum we're wasting his time. Now the good thing is, he can convict us of that and he can even use that to draw us closer to him. So, Okay. Yeah, in a sense, it's two sides of the same coin. So when we pray in the Spirit, we are in line with Him. When we are in line with Him, we pray in the Spirit. So I think there, there's at least two aspects to that. Number one, we have to know Him. You can't pray in the Spirit if you're not a believer. Number two, you have to know something about Him and how to, to come to Him and how to pray. And that's where Scripture comes in. Scripture informs us of truth and then informs us of how to exercise that truth through prayer. So, we talked about, I think in the first week, how prayer is probably the most underutilized resource and yet the most vital resource in a Christian's life. Not to diminish Scripture, because Scripture is... Can you pray without a Bible? Yes. But can you pray so much better when informed by the Bible? Absolutely. So it... not just intensifies, it informs our prayers. All right. Last page, page 32. All right, middle of that second paragraph, I underline... As your life is filled with the Spirit, and as you walk in obedience to Him, He will govern your thoughts, so your prayers will be in harmony with His. And again, it's, it's this cycle. You know, we, we see these cycles of sin. Well, here's a cycle of holiness. We're continuing to, continuing to seek Him and to uh, spend time in prayer to obey Him and it just continues to repeat itself. And it's only when, you know, as Pilgrim gets distracted and veers off the path, that's when chaos happens. We stay on the path, we keep our eyes on the celestial cities, so to speak, then we are in line with him. All right, any final thoughts on chapter one? So I encourage you, if you've only read it once, read it again. If you haven't read it in the last few weeks while we were not meeting, read it again just to make sure it's solidified because the next chapter is going to build on this and then we're going to get into uh, chapter 3 and on the breakdown of what he refers to as the disciples' prayer and looking at each aspect. One of the things that I'm going to do is he... Uh, 
the basis for this book was a series that he, that MacArthur preached in 1979, 1980. And so I've been listening to those as well. I will send the corresponding messages out. So if you guys want to give us your email, um, I'll send the, the links to the corresponding messages out prior to us talking about the specific uh, parts. So that will be something to listen to in addition to reading the chapters that are coming ahead. All right.